Check this out. This is CNN Live newsroom. Democracy at stake. More v. Harper could put universal power over uh, elections in the hands of state legislatures. That, that's exactly what the Republicans want to do so that they can steal the elections better next time. Unless y'all make a noise and fucking call the Department of Justice in 202-514-2000 and demand indictments. Leave a message. Exactly, but I know from Press the 2020 four. election, you both know this, a lot of conservatives uh, were using that theory to undermine the election yeah. results in states like Pennsylvania. Selectively. 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 And ultimately it failed. Ultimately I mean, it failed, yeah. but selectively. Let's look at Texas. The governor of Texas, a Republican, made a last-minute decision too, yeah. about drop boxes. The legislature had nothing to do with that. Republicans said that was wonderful. That was a governor completely interposing his own choice without the legislature having any involvement whatsoever. And Republicans were great with that. When that happened in states that Trump lost, it was now a constitutional issue. Wait a minute. No, no. There's an inconsistency here that goes to the deeper question. I'm only satisfied when I win. No, that's not how it works. Bottom line right there. Full stop. No matter what party, no matter what your well, politics are, that's the that bottom line, Major Gary, David idiots. Becker. I really can't wait to dive into your book more. So important. You Clearly a topic I'm passionate about. Idiots. Thank you both. Thanks so much, Thank you, Pamela. Well, you were in the CNN newsroom. The October surprise. Many political races in history have seen those pop up. Could it happen this year? Has it already happened this year? This week, Georgia Senate nominee Herschel Walker repeatedly denied reports that he paid for an abortion for a woman in 2009. Now that woman tells the New York Times that Walker asked her to have a second abortion Mm -hmm. two years later, something she didn't do. So could these new accusations affect Walker's race against incumbent Senator Raphael Warnock? CNN senior data reporter Harry Enton joins us to run the numbers. The big question, will this matter? Will all these accusations against Herschel Walker, Harry, have any effect in Georgia? I think if they have any effect, it will be small. And the reason why is take a look at the CBS News YouGov poll that was taken before the latest allegations came about. And they basically asked, okay, if you're voting for Herschel Walker, what is the main reason behind your vote for him? Only 20% of Herschel Walker voters said the reason I'm really voting for him is because I actually like him. The vast majority, 80%, said, I'm really only voting for him because he's the Republican nominee or because I don't really like Raphael Warnock. For Warnock, in fact, it's a majority who say they're voting for him because they like him. For Walker, it's just 20%. So the real question is, among that 20%, are any of them really going to change their mind? We'll have to wait and see. But obviously, any small shift in that race could make a big difference. Yeah, it's an important race. Where does it stand in the context of the Senate map? Yeah, so essentially I picked out four of six races that Democrats must win in order to get to 50 seats. And if you look right here on the list, they're leading in New Hampshire, Maggie Hassan, up by seven points. In Arizona, Mark Kelly up by six. In Pennsylvania, John Fetterman up by five. In Georgia, Raphael Warnock up by an average of four points. If Democrats win all four of those seats, with Georgia being the 50th, they will in fact maintain their Senate majority. All they have to do is win the seats that they're ahead right now, and they will, in fact, keep control of the United States Senate. 
All right, so some are viewing the accusations against Walker as an October surprise, as we talked about earlier. What is an example of an October surprise that seemed to move the numbers? Of course, like when I think of October surprise, I think Access Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when, when I take a look at the numbers and we take a look of an example that actually moved the numbers, I'm going to go all the way back to 2006. Take a look here. The Mark Foley scandal, right? It was about pages, whether or not he sent explicit messages to underage teenage boys. And you look, pre-scandal, Republicans were forecast to win around 217 seats. On election eve, that forecast was just 204, and they only won 202 seats. So I think that's an example of a scandal that really did make an impact uh, in terms of the election. All right, and how about one that didn't? How about one that didn't? How about four years Let's ago? Remember, grabbing. Trump was talking all about the caravan, the migrant caravans coming up from Central America. Well, before Trump tweeted about it, the House forecast was for Democrats to win 235 seats. How many did they win? 235. On the Senate side, the forecast... You want to call the shots, huh? And if we could just get final approval on the primary market... Well, you better be the loudest voice in the room. Documents are currently with our legal team, and I look forward to working with you further on this project. And if you see an opportunity, grab it. Before his first caravan tweet was 48 Senate seats, Democrats won 47. So that was an example of an October surprise that honestly really just fizzled. All right, and I mentioned the Access Hollywood in the video, uh, what, what arguably is the biggest month of October surprises back in 2016. That stands out. Yeah, it really does stand out. There were so many October surprises emails. there. It's kind of hard to disentangle what exactly happened. Before yeah. the October surprise that was the Access Hollywood tape, Clinton was up by six. Uh, before the Comey letter, Clinton was up by six. The actual result was Clinton up by two. Of course, Trump won the presidency. So I don't think the Access Hollywood tape had too much an effect, but the Comey letter may have, in fact, had one. Comey letter. All right. Harry Enton, always good to see you. Thanks so much. The Comey letter. And, well, Friday's jobs report coming in better than expected, although slower than we've seen in previous months. Here are the numbers, 263,000 jobs added in September. The Fed is rooting for a slowdown to take some of the air out of the ballooning economy and keep prices in check. Let's bring in Ann Barry of Thread Needle Ventures. Ann, uh, it seems like there's a mixed bag here. Help us understand this. You've got <sighs> pretty strong jobs report, but some signs of cooling in the labor market. Meantime, consumer prices are still outpacing wage growth. Is the Fed strategy working? And how long do you think it will be until these prices start to plateau and go down? Howler, I think we've got this real conundrum at the moment, and it's a timing issue. Well, On the one hand, what the Fed is doing to slow down me. demand, I definitely think is working, but it just takes time. The labor market's not cooling off quickly enough, I think, for market patients or to see enough data for the Fed to take its foot off the gas on interest rate hikes. But at the same time, we are seeing other symptoms that inflationary pressure is abating. We're seeing shipping rates come down. Uh, we're seeing uh, other areas of supply, chain, uh, supply chain tightening and global demand begin to uh, dwindle. So I think this will begin to untangle itself, but it's going to be 2023 before we get clarity on inflation being where we need it to be. 2023, huh? All right, so what are you predicting in terms of future rate hikes because as you said uh, the picture that's uh, that's emerging right now is that the fed hikes are working more slowly than perhaps people want what do you think they're going to do next well Pamela, the expectation for inflation for uh, september is that it stays in around about the eight percent range that we saw in august and that would suggest that the fed would bump up rates by another 75 basis points but you know some of the problem is big consumer price buckets Companies are still pushing up those prices no matter what the Fed starts to do. 
Chief Economist at the Burning Glass Institute, Gad Lebanon, has this to say. The only option that leaves the Fed is to engineer a recession by continuing to raise interest rates. Expect to see that happen in 2023. Uh, what do you think? I mean, you know, there's all this talk about is, is a recession going to happen? Is it inevitable? But I'm going to ask you, is a recession in the near future inevitable in your view? You know, I, I think it really is, and not only in the U.S., but also internationally. Europe is technically in recession, it has been for a while now, and we're seeing the slowdown in global demand, particularly in numbers coming out of Asia, coming out of South America, Pamela. So I think when we look at it in the non-U.S. markets, it's inevitable it's not happening already, and there are real, real repercussions to that. If you look at the S&P 500, something like 25 to 40 percent of revenue of some of the biggest companies in the U.S., comes from those international markets. And then the other thing we're seeing here, businesses like L'Oreal and Beauty, like Nestle and Food, they're pushing up prices no matter what, testing the limits of consumer patience yeah. and pricing. That is going to keep consumer disposable income. I was going to ask about that, just the, the fact that, like, obviously yeah. inflation is bad for the consumer, but are these companies taking advantage of it to, to reap bigger profits? And it sounds like what you're saying is, yeah, some companies are. Well, the biggest controversy, Pamela, has been in the energy sector. You know, we've seen this politically. We saw the Shell CEO um, astonishingly come out and say there should be a special windfall tax on energy companies, including his own, precisely because we've seen the benefits of the margin profiles of those businesses from uh, oil price hikes. So uh, I do think we're seeing under the auspices of inflationary expectations, large uh, companies that do have pricing power take that price Live CNN and Barry. and other kinds of scrutiny than ever before, and it's held up. 
As we sit here over 700 days past the election, there hasn't been a single shred of evidence brought by anybody, including the losing presidential candidate, to any court or law enforcement authority to indicate there was any problem with the election. And yet there are people who are cynically exploiting... 53% uh, of GOP midterm of candidates deny a question by the Biden win. 53%! Power, and even more cynically, David Becker. to just make money. Um, and we're seeing that quite a bit. The damage, though, is that we're getting to a point where Americans only believe that their elections are secure if their candidate wins. And we cannot sustain a democracy in that way. There are winners and there are losers. We are a closely divided nation. And we're going to have elections where our candidates lose. And that's something we say to both parties. Yeah, okay? I was say. Right. Look, democracy requires a lot of you. One of the things it requires of you is forbearance. And what does forbearance mean? It means you campaign and you are passionate about your candidate or set of candidates. And if they come up just short, guess what? You're going to have to live with policies from the side that one that you may violently or vehemently disagree with. But peaceably, you live with that in a democracy. And you know what? You focus your attention on the next election and you win that one. You don't slander the one you just lost, increasing a set of doubts that don't exist in something that just happened. And we're getting dangerously close to where that's becoming a tactical alternative in American politics. Yeah. And we argue very strongly that's a very dangerous place for us to go. And we have seen it. I mean, it is dangerous. We've seen the violence mm -hmm. from it on January 6th. And it's interesting, in the book you write, uh, Major, Fuck is wrong with you people. founder, Stuart Rhodes, and the failed of on January 6th, you write about him, democracy candidates die violently. Most die because rules are bent. Deny Biden won. In defense of the rule of law. That is what history what teaches about the us. David and I did a lot 300, of ballots. How about charging them with election fraud? The GOP. Not by the bullet by 300,000 stolen ballots from the USPS under DeJoy. To protect people from others or because they feel a sense of helplessness. And they act within verifying and upholding things while quite obviously and over the test of time we're not only first watering them down, but ultimately dissolving them. And that's one of the things we have to keep in mind as we think. What the hell is wrong with you Americans so that you would actually vote for somebody like perjury traitor green? Question mark. Just saying. about where our democracy is, where our constitutional republic is, because Republicans always remind me, it's not a pure democracy major, the constitutional republic. That's technically and legally true. And it is. And the constitutional republic has a democratic system that uphold those things that provide the verification of an election result, because from that verification comes authority. Authority is how we keep the rule of law and everything else that undergirds what we appreciate and value so much in our country. It's so important to go back to these building blocks right, of democracy in the United States in order to understand the future right now. And, you know, you, you, you mentioned a, a key point here, saying what Republicans, how they view it, and Democrats. It, suddenly there's, like, different views of how democracy operates. You're having the independent state legislature theory put out there. Bear with us because this is an important an important uh, story with a case before the Supreme Court right now, more the Harper, that some election experts say, David, could be the end of democracy. What do you say to that? What is it? And what, what do you think? So what it basically says is that the Constitution 
reserves the ability to set state election laws with the state legislature. This has never been adopted by any court. And what some are promoting is the idea that state legislatures are without any checks and balances in that process, that the state judiciaries could not uh, oversee that process by the legislature and rule it unconstitutional or some, or some other violation of the law under state law, for instance. Of course, the state legislatures and the state judiciaries were established under state constitutions, which the framers knew. There's an excellent piece written recently by um, former uh, Judge J. Michael Ludig, who was on George W. Bush's shortlist for the United States Supreme Court, where he points out the historical ironies of asserting this, that it doesn't really make sense in the history of the Constitution. But can you imagine if we get to the point where legislatures don't have any oversight, whereas the judiciary, which always has oversight over legislative functions here with, with Congress and the United States Supreme Court or in the states, in this one area has no oversight whatsoever. Now, this is not predicting that the Supreme Court is going to rule that way. It's, it's a very, very novel and somewhat radical theory, and I think there's a lot of folks who think that it's unlikely the court's going to rule very radically in this direction, but it's something we have to keep an eye on. But in the current atmosphere, in the current atmosphere, people do fear something that they would regard as a radical choice on this question from the Supreme Court. And you can't rule it out. If it's before the court, the court's obviously entertaining and wants to take a look at it. But as David said, it's not only novel, it's completely hands or a sword of all the constitutional interpretation before it. And it would fundamentally break the idea of checks and balances at the state level. Right, it, 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 exactly. But I know from covering the 2020 election, you both know this, a lot of conservatives uh, were using that theory to undermine the election results in states like Pennsylvania. Selectively. 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 And ultimately it failed. Ultimately it failed, yeah. but selectively. Let's look at Texas. The governor of Texas, a Republican, made a last-minute decision yeah. about drop boxes. The legislature had nothing to do with that. Republicans said that was wonderful. That was a governor completely interposing his own choice without the legislature having any involvement whatsoever. And Republicans were great with that. When that happened in states that Trump lost, it was now a constitutional issue. Wait a minute. No, no. There's an inconsistency here that goes to the deeper question. I'm only satisfied when I win. No, that's not how it works. Bottom line right there. Full stop. No matter what party, no matter what your politics are, that's the bottom line. Major Garrett, David Becker, I really can't wait to dive into your book more. So important. Clearly a topic I'm passionate about. Thank you both. Thanks so much, Dick Hamill. Well, you were in the CNN newsroom. The October surprise. Many political races in history have seen those pop up. Could it happen?
when people try to inflict pain on you by withdrawing or ghosting you and then showing up and being and having some sort of plausible excuse as to why they are treating you like shit, it, and it makes no sense. It's like, okay, well, maybe I'm just losing here. Maybe I'm just, you must pay attention to this because they will feed on your insecurity and your lack of identity in order to control you. This is why it is imperative to know who the fuck you are what you will tolerate and what you will not tolerate. So if you find somebody doing this and giving you the whole roller coaster effect in a relationship, cut that shit out. You are being manipulated. Whether they're doing it intentionally or not, it doesn't matter. It is your job to recognize it and set a boundary and a standard. Don't be fooled. Here's the dark psychology hack that you need to know. I learned two things that day. One, I was never going to let anyone see wondering 
why we won't accept you as you are. Hmm. When's it your turn to level up? When are you going to become emotionally available men so that we want to be with you? And I'm so sorry if you feel lonely. Maybe you should wonder how we've felt all along. I'm a survivor of narcissistic abuse. And if you've been on social media at all this week, you've seen the screenshots of the article in a psychology magazine saying that men survivor of narcissistic abuse and if you've been on social media at all this week you've seen the screenshots of the article in the psychology magazine saying that men are lonely in record numbers single men i can't speak for all women but i can speak for myself and what i believe to be happening we are done with men who treat us like shit we are done with men who lie to us and are i saw it on tiktok that night i need you to learn to be okay by yourself stop thinking that you always have to be with somebody else to feel loved. Love you some you. Love yourself enough to wake up every day and be simply okay if it's just you, yourself, and you. Because you want to talk about pretty privilege? I need you to learn to be okay by yourself. Stop thinking yourself enough to wake up and figure out your dislikes. But never ever again feel like you need somebody else to validate you. You need nobody else to stamp of approval. I promise you, when you're okay in your own skin and you love yourself enough to realize I don't need anybody else to validate me, that's when the universe, that's when God will allow the right person to walk into your life. But today, it's all about you figuring out your strengths, figuring out your weaknesses, figuring out your likes, figuring out your dislikes, and finding a way to stop hating yourself. I need you to learn to be okay by yourself. Want to talk about pretty privilege? Let's talk about how pretty you have to be to be able to rock a bald hairstyle. Because look at this shit. Want to talk about pretty privilege? Let's talk about how pretty you have to be to be able to rock a bald hairstyle. Because look at this shit. Want to talk about pretty privilege? Let's talk about how pretty you have to be to be able to rock a bald hairstyle. Because look at this shit. Want to talk about pretty privilege? Let's talk about how pretty you have. Oh, let's see. Reality check. What, bitch? <laughs> Not me. Gonna hmm. talk about. I'm waiting. You know what, bitch? Oh, let's see. Reality check. What, bitch? <laughs> Not me. I saw a really funny dude do this, and he said, whatever song you get, I haven't heard this one, is your trauma. Filters do not know me, but we are gonna do it anyway. Where's my trauma? I haven't heard this one, hold on. I can't describe how accurate this is, goodbye, goodbye. I saw a really funny dude do this, and he said, whatever song you get, I haven't heard this one. It's a very, very comfortable ride. You're getting a little bit more stress here, so smoothing everything out.
not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system, announcing the commencement of the annual purge, sanctioned by the U.S. government. Commencing at the siren, any and all crime, including murder, will be legal for 12 continuous hours. May God be with you all. This filter is going to tell me how to highlight and contour my face based on my face shape. It's a global shape for me. I have never put contour right here. That is, I don't even understand that. Okay, a little bit here. Down on the jaw. Across the top of the forehead. Now, this is angled this way. I mean, I'll do it. <laughs> and of course, we have the nose. It's pretty easy to follow along with, not gonna lie. I never usually contour that high. Okay, now we are highlighting with concealer. For the lip, I used to do that back in the day. I always highlight my chin, and this is telling me not to do that. Oh my god! Okay, let's check this off and see what we got. Okay, look blended and see what it looks like. Seems to be very heavily focused on highlighting the inner pad of my face. And now I'm just setting it with some setting powder. Well, this filter is going to tell me how to highlight and contour my face based on my face shape. It's a global shape for me. I have never put contour right here. powder So 
I know it sounds silly, but what we are doing in that is that we are trying to get the person to um, uh, kind of tap into their initial thought of what the emotion is rather than the actual word. Because so often we get caught up in words, we don't want to be judged, we don't want the, our words to be used as weapons uh, verbally in, in the future. And so work with your partner, work with a friend, QMOC um, collective to develop some of these emotional sounds in your emotional sound vocabulary. Because my hope is, um, whenever I'm working with a client, is that they'll better able to identify the emotion with the word in the future if they know innately, quickly what the sound is. So try it with a partner, try it with a friend or a therapist, um, and hopefully you'll be better, better versed at uh, what your emotions are with words and sound. DJ Boogie Beats. Thank you. 
the water had changed. She said all these things have been exposed to the same hot water. She said it caused the egg to harden. It caused the potato to soften. You'll notice the coffee had changed the water. I always believed in the quality of the water. It was dependent on the quality of my circumstances. But I found out that the quality of my circumstances is directly dependent on the quality of my life. Every time you meet moments of adversity, you've got a choice in it. You can allow it to harden you. Be a coffee bean. <laughs> or you can change from the inside and make the circumstances around you better. Be a coffee bean. <laughs> I was a boy growing up on a farm. I used to go to my grandma's house to play. On a particular day, I was... that went on recently or just a little while back there is a new safety feature if you have not heard yet again listen up so when and if you ever see an orange small dot in the top right hand corner of your iphone you're gonna want to open your eyes up a little wider and check out what's going on here that means that there's an app on your phone that is opening up the microphone on your phone and listening in or possibly even watching in on something that you are doing at that current time yes an app on your phone opening up the microwave the, the microphone hmm okay now if you want to know which app is opening up the microphone you're going to scroll down from the top right the same top right hand corner you're going to scroll down from the top and next there's going to be a little green dot right there on that menu icon and you're going to be able to see which app is actually using the microphone of your phone. Now, it happened to me yesterday, so this is how I know about it. It happened to me yesterday, and I scrolled down, and it said my telephone was using the microphone. Now, I wasn't on the phone, so why is my telephone using the microphone option if I'm not even on the phone? That's concerning, to say the least. If you see a green dot in the upper right-hand corner, that means that your your um, video camera has also been opened up. So not only has the microphone been opened up and being used, but now the video camera is being used as well. Now, when you go on certain social media um, platforms, it's going to show up on there, of course, because you're recording something and it's opening up your camera to use it because you want to do that. But when you see that orange dot there, when it shouldn't be there, um, it's a bit concerning. So let me know if anybody else sees that orange dot up there um, in that top right-hand corner for all my iPhone people. Let me know and let me know what you've experienced when you do scroll down from the top right-hand corner to see which app on your phone is using your microphone. Again, very concerning to say the least, but it's factual. So um let me know in the comment section much love guys stay vigilant stay safe and number one always stay calm hello my beautiful friends i'm back again today with some important information that you're gonna want to know so this is for everybody who has an iphone out there calling every person that has an iphone to listen up 
there is a new safety feature with the upgrade that went on recently. I'm not going to lie and tell you that I want to be here right now. But as an adult, you know there's things that you have to do. As an adult, if you... Okay, hold on. Oh, no, that was, uh... TikTok. Here, as it already happened this year, this week, Georgia Senate nominee Herschel Walker. Fuck Herschel Walker. Fucking prick. Repeatedly denied reflection in the near future. Head up and job growth. Blah, blah, blah. Russia's talk of using nuclear weapons is irresponsible. And really, the only off-ramp that's available is he needs to pull out. Okay, let's move Just on. Said, Just get okay, watch the last word with Lawrence O'Donnell, 16 hours ago. The beat, Barry Mabler, 17 hours ago. Rachel Maddow had highlights. Let's watch that. In the sedition trial that got underway today in Washington, D.C., the biggest sedition trial in America in 80 years, of five members of the right-wing Trump, pro-Trump paramilitary group, the Oath Keepers, including their leader, uh, there's, there's not much in dispute about the facts of the case. The Oath Keepers did descend on D.C. on January 6th. They brought guns and ammo and even hand grenades with them. Today, prosecutors played an audio Five recording times. of the group's leader, regretting they didn't bring the guns to the Capitol itself. Played a recording of him saying, quote, my only regret is they should have brought rifles. We could have fixed it right there and then. Oath keepers in their little fake military uniforms. They definitely did storm into the Capitol in military formation. Prosecutors say once inside, they split up into two teams, fanning out to go hunt down individual lawmakers. And after January 6th, the group's leader definitely did keep buying weapons and messaging fellow Oath Keepers about continuing to try to block President Biden from taking office. None of that is really in dispute in this trial. New York Times reporter Alan Foyer, who was in the courthouse as the sedition trial kicked off today, he put it this way. He said, quote, my only, excuse me, he said, quote, because of the government's wealth of evidence, the trial is less likely to focus on disputes over what the group did in the days and weeks yeah. leading up to January 6th yeah. than it is to hinge on the question of why they did it. Joining us now is Alan Foyer. He's covering the trial for the New York Times. Mr. Foyer, I appreciate you being here. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me, Rachel. So can you explain that last point, that the dispute in the courtroom is going to be less about what they did and more about why they did it? Why is that? Sure. So it's going to get down to a question of intent, right? So there's tons of evidence that um, after the election, Stuart Rhodes, the leader of the Oath Keepers, was very vocal about not wanting to let Joe Biden get into office. The government says... The defense says, no, that's more of a free speech issue. The why of it, you know, the the government, you know, no one disputes that the Oath Keepers, um, you know, had this armed quick reaction force stationed in hotel rooms across the Potomac River in Virginia, uh, kind of at the ready should things go wrong on January 6th. And, you know, the government says, hey, that's evidence that they had this plot afoot to stop the transfer of power again. The defense says, no, it had nothing to do with that. Those armed Oath Keepers were stationed in those hotel rooms awaiting orders from President Trump to invoke a, a, a revolutionary era law called the Insurrection Act that would have given them the legal standing as a militia to come to Trump's aid. 
again, it's a question of intent. In terms of that Insurrection Act argument, sometimes um, the way these things go in federal trials, I know, is that the judge will rule in advance. He or she will hear motions in advance about essentially the admissibility of of a particular argument um, in addition to the admissibility of particular evidence. Sometimes a judge will rule, yes, you can make that kind of argument. No, you can't make that kind of argument. Has this issue of the Insurrection Act potentially sort of legalizing their otherwise illegal actions? Is that something that has been litigated thus far in the trial, or is this essentially them trying it for the first time in front of the jury and nobody quite knows if it's going to fly? It was absolutely litigated beforehand. The judge set kind of specific limits on, on, on how this defense could be raised. And again, it had to be raised as an issue of intent. There is a defense called a public authority defense where someone charged with a crime says, hey, I thought I was following the law when I was breaking this crime, or I thought I was acting under the authority of a government official. And that's a sort of closely related but separate thing. What the Oath Keepers are saying here is they believed, in their minds, they believed that it would have been legal for them to bring their weapons over the river and come to the aid of their compatriots at the Capitol had Trump invoked the Insurrection Act. And what's interesting about that, aside from the sort of novel and very risky, frankly, uh, defense they're raising is, you mentioned before that there have been sedition cases in the past going back, you know, Civil War cases through, um, you know, the Wobblies, the Radical Unionists, through sort of war resistors, uh, you know, on up to Islamic terrorists. Nobody None of the and no one charged with seditious conspiracy has ever tried to ally themselves with the chief executive of the government while charged with seeking to use force against the government. That's the real kind of weird and new thing here. If I could show you how you could quit your unfulfilling job, pursue your passion of dogs instead, and become highly paid as the number one person in your area that people turn to for help with their dogs, would you be interested in learning more? Because the good news is, in the next three minutes, I'm going to share with you a very unique opportunity to change all of that and lead a life so full of passion, you'll feel like you're living a dream. I'm talking about experiencing the sort of joy that comes from being able to help people with their dog's behavioral problems, including issues that none of the other trainers could help with. Imagine people looking at you in awe as if you were some kind of genius with dogs and being highly paid and respected as a result. Well, if that sounds good to you, click on the link that's in the description of this video to learn more otherwise let me share a little bit more about this amazing opportunity so I'm known as doggy Dan and as a highly successful dog trainer the New York Times today reporting that if the Republicans do take over the House, at least eight congressional committees are due to be chaired by members of Congress who voted to not certify the election results, who voted to overturn the election results and Get keep Trump in power despite the vote. These are all members of Congress who took that vote after the Capitol attack on January 6th. They'll be running eight of the most important committees in the U.S. Congress. And also, uh, this is the Supreme Court term just started today in which the new conservative supermajority on the Supreme Court has gone out of their way to put a case before themselves on something called the independent state legislature doctrine. Fucking which is a thing a. that They're I swear steal to you the, is, is well and truly the next boring. Election. The more you read about it, the more sufferific you will feel. I mean, it's, it's just boring, particularly if you're not a lawyer. However, 
what the independent state legislature doctrine could do, what this case could do now that these Supreme Court justices have asked to hear a case about it, is it effectively could give Republicans in state legislatures the power to do what Trump demanded that they do in 2020. It could give Republican-controlled state legislatures the power to decide what the election results will be from that state, regardless of how the people of that state voted, which is what Trump demanded of Republican state legislators after 2020. The Supreme Court case that's before the court for this term could potentially legalize the illegal unconstitutional scheme that Trump was demanding of Republicans who supported him to hand him the electors from states that he, in fact, lost. So this is quite a moment, right? I mean, at a time when we've got the, the biggest sedition trial in 80 years underway in Washington. I'm doing a podcast about the last sedition threat like this from the late 30s and the early 40s in order to find the closest precedent to what we're facing today. Right? While that is happening in Washington as of today, we're not just closing in on an election where people who deny that we should have real election results anymore are trying to take over. We're also today starting a new Supreme Court session with a court that has never had a lower level of respect from the American people in the entire time that pollsters have been asking the American people about their level of respect for the court. With the new conservative supermajority on the Supreme Court, they are reaching way out this term, way, way out of their way to take cases that are expected to serve as a vehicle for them to let state legislatures change election results, to get rid of affirmative action programs in education, to get rid of anti-discrimination civil rights laws that protect gay people, and to once and for all get rid of the crown jewel achievement of the United States Civil Rights Movement, which of course is the Voting Rights Act. The conservatives on the court already took away the heart of the Voting Rights Act in 2013. Now with the case they're going to hear tomorrow, they could pave the way to hollow out all the rest of it too. That case they're going to hear tomorrow is a case out of Alabama. Alabama has a population that's more than a quarter African-American. But the Republicans who control the Alabama state legislature want only one of the state's congressional districts to have a majority black electorate. Under the Voting Rights Act, even a very conservative court with two Trump-appointed judges told Alabama that they couldn't do that that that's an illegal infringement on the voting rights of black voters. You can't have more than a quarter of your population be African-American and then have six of your seven congressional seats be in majority white districts. The Voting Rights Act, even hollowed out as it is, prevents them from doing something that extreme. That's the court ruling that is controlling in that case right now, but the Supreme Court has nevertheless chosen to wade in. With the expectation being that they're going to tell Alabama and the rest of the country to go ahead, do what you want. There's no need to worry worry about that pesky Voting Rights Act anymore. And if you think that is too radical a thing to imagine them doing, I mean, this is the court that just overruled Roe versus Wade, right? A recent Gallup poll shows that the American people say their, their trust in the court has dropped 20 points just since 2020, just in the past two years. Another poll, similar poll from Marquette Law School shows it's dropped 26 points in the past two years. If the perception of the court keeps dropping like that, you might think the court would start to get worried that Americans soon just won't respect the court enough to follow its rulings anymore, which of course would be a disaster for the country. That would literally be the end of the rule of law in a very fundamental way. 
But if there's one thing we can be sure of, it is that we are playing with the fundamentals in lots of ways these days, pushing ourselves right up to the edge and occasionally over it. And we all know enough history to know that we have pushed ourselves far, very far in the past as well. But these fights to hold on to our constitutional republic, they don't win themselves. volunteering as a poll worker or you're door knocking for the latest good government pro-democracy initiative that's on the ballot where you live whatever you are doing right now particularly over these next six weeks you are part of what will decide what happens next in our country the outcome is not at all certain at this point we are in the middle of all of it and good luck to us all job has never been lower. In a survey from Gallup, uh, the only group that trusts the federal judiciary right now uh, is the red line there. Republicans, uh, Democrats, independents, with Democrats and independents, they're, they're below 50%. A new poll by Marquette Law School shows that the American public's approval of the Supreme Court specifically has dropped 26 points in two years. And this isn't a popularity contest. This isn't just a sad tale about people not liking the court. This is a story about our country. If Americans do wholesale lose faith in the court, what's the consequence of that? I mean, how long before we are at risk of this unspeakable thing in which the American people no longer consent to follow the court's rulings? If we're not going to follow them, what do we follow instead? What's the law if court rulings no longer hold sway? because the courts are no longer seen as legitimate. This is all happening, of course, in the wake of the decision to overturn Roe versus Wade, an unimaginable, very unpopular benchmark, which we have nevertheless passed and are living with now. For the term that starts today, the conservative supermajority on the court has sought out cases that could continue reshaping life as we know it in terms almost as fundamental as Roe. Affirmative action, gay rights, voting rights, whether state legislatures get to decide elections on their own say-so. Tomorrow, the court will hear a Voting Rights Act, voting rights Act case ah, in Alabama, shit. where more than a quarter of the voting age population is African-American, but six out of seven congressional districts are majority white. This case that the court is hearing tomorrow has the potential, bottom line, oh, to undo congressional districts with black or brown lawmakers in every single state in the union. This is the Patriot Power Sidekick, and it's gonna help me power all of this right here in the middle of nowhere. This little device right here is going to give me hours of the juice I need to work. In her new book, Lady Justice, which is really good, um, my favorite court watcher in all the land, Dahlia Lithwick, writes about how women in particular are on tenterhooks right now, fully aware of how much is at risk and the radicalism of the moment that we are facing. Dahlia Lithwick writes in the conclusion to her book, quote, we are in a truly frightening moment. 
election deniers are laying the tracks to set aside the 2024 election and the Supreme Court has, for the first time in history, reversed precedent in order to take away freedom rather than expand it. The court works ever harder to limit voting rights. States punish LGBTQ families and ban books in schools. The Supreme Court will hear a case affording state legislatures the right to determine election outcomes, the discredited legal theory deployed to try to set aside the 2020 contest. This will not be reversed in a year or maybe even a decade. She says, quote, I don't believe women sleep through revengeous backsliding any easier than they sleep through colic. We hear things. We see things. We are awake. Joining us now is Dahlia Lithwick, senior editor at Slate. She's the author of Lady Justice, Women, the Law, and the Battle to Save America. Dahlia, it's great to see you here. It's good to be back. It's really nice to have you here in person. We're awfully cheerful, the two of us. Sorry. <laughs> you want to hear some more Nazi stories? You, I'm you, sorry. Usually I'm the, I'm the depressive <laughs> on the two of us, but man, you really set the bar low. <laughs> I mean, the point is, though, that we should not see our current challenges as unprecedented challenges, that we have had very, very difficult moments, including on constitutional fundamentals in the past. And it takes a lot. It takes not just the courts. It takes not just the Justice Department. It takes not just jail for bad guys to fix these things. And I feel like in Lady Justice and in the way that you're approaching this current court, you're sort of telling a little bit of the same story, which is that there's, there's, there's work to do and there's no silver bullet. And telling exactly the same story that you just told, which is if you think that winning lawsuits is going to get you there, it's not enough. You can win a bunch of lawsuits. In some sense, this book is about a bunch of amazing lawsuits. But the last third of the book is about exactly what you were talking about, organizing, registering voters, structural democracy reform, right? Senate has to be reformed. The Electoral College has to be reformed. We have to think about massive reform to the Supreme Court. Those aren't things that are going to get fixed at the midterms, and they're not going to get fixed in 2024, assuming the 2024 election plays out the way we hope it does. This is really a moment for people to say, what am I doing to protect poll workers? What am I doing to protect teachers? How am I going to make sure that the secretary of state race in my state is essential? And that's the kind of stuff I think we lose track of. Mm -hmm. But that's the structural democratic fix that is absolutely essential for everybody to be paying attention. And I'm, honestly, I mean, this is sort of the time if you are concerned about democracy, if you are concerned about what's happening with the elections in your state, now today is the day. We're just far enough out from the election that you've still got time to ask yourself, well, when I tell my kids and my grandkids and I kibitz with my friends about this moment, what am I going to say I did? What, what was my role in helping? How did I participate in trying to hold up this thing that I say I value? One of the things that I'm scared about um, is that one of the things we tell each other about how to make change is to vote. I'm very worried about the Voting Rights Act and what they're going to be hearing tomorrow. What are your expectations in terms of the dilution of voting rights for minorities and the other threats to voting rights with this court this year? Yeah, I mean, it's existential. And I think what you said initially is exactly correct, which is this is not the beginning of a process. This is a process that began with Shelby County. It began with Citizens United. It began with Brnovich two years ago when Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act was circumscribed. So this is really what's left of a Voting Rights Act that has been eviscerated by this court. And I think if they do what I suspect they're going to do tomorrow, and we hear about it in the spring, 